Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Sternova Strategic Edge, a bi-weekly audio business program where we explore emerging strategies in strategic innovation from the edges of the business ecosystem. In this shorter companion program to our bi-weekly Stranova interview podcast, we explore the implications of some of the newest strategic trends in business from all over the world and present them every other week, alternating with our regular interview series. So, thanks for tuning in, and let's get started with this episode of Stranova Strategic Edge. The sound you just heard is of a key turning in a lock. The key keeps others from going through the door into your home or office and is designed uniquely so that no one else other than you and those you trust can get inside. It works pretty well for most of us. Now imagine that, in order for you to do the various things you do in the normal course of your living, such as to buy clothes, a car, or a house, secure medical care, or apply for a job, you had to give everybody you meet their own copy of your home or office key, along with full information on where you live or work. Even if you trust most of those you contact, that seems like a rather stupid thing to do, doesn't it? Somebody's going to break in sometime, and easily. You, of course, would never agree to that. But with our personal credit information, we actually do just that, giving away precious data about our most private financial histories to total strangers. Strangers who, in general, we can still probably trust, but unfortunately some of them are not very careful with how they handle the information, and a tiny few will abuse that information. The end result will be that someone will break into your own financial house and steal from you before you know it. Welcome to the sad and unfortunately all too common situation of identity theft. You probably know someone who's been affected by this. I had an employee who worked for me in a previous company who discovered, some three months after the whole saga had started, that someone had successfully applied for credit cards in his name and had hijacked the man's bank account to enable him to pay for charges incurred in the third month. My colleague spotted this just by watching his bank account, and although you might not think of this as lucky, at least he was able to stop it before a much larger violation of his finances and his privacy occurred. Another friend had his driver's license copied and used it with a change of address filed to open a checking account in a slightly altered version of his name and began passing bad checks. Like me, the reason you probably know someone who's been affected by this is because it's an enormous and growing problem. In 2004, for example, the Bureau of Justice estimated that some 3% of households in the United States were a victim of identity theft during the previous six months. A separate Federal Trade Commission report says that some 10 million Americans may have been hit with some sort of identity theft. Still another report suggests that, for those who are victims of identity theft, the average value of the theft to them personally is as much as $10,200 per incident. Victims spent an average of $500 of their own trying to straighten out the identity theft and often took years to clear their names and their credit records and the Federal Trade Commission suggests that the rate of this happening is increasing rapidly at a rate of more than 15 cases of identity theft per minute. In this episode of Stranova, we're going to explore first a bit of why this is all happening 
and even more important to our strategic innovation analyses, how what is one person's tragedy has become a booming business in startups and expanded innovations from other companies to help protect each of us from the ubiquity of our own data. The beginning of the why in all this is actually fairly simple. It's a combination of the way our credit system works and the booming availability of access to our personal data in the information age. As a bit of caution here, yes, this time I am going to be focusing fairly exclusively on the United States, simply because it's way too big a topic to talk about from a worldwide perspective, though you and other countries will see parallels, I'm sure. Let's take a simple example of a non-fraudulent credit transaction to illustrate what I'm talking about. Back in the year 2000, I moved from Oregon to California for a new job and wanted to buy a new house. There was quite a bit of running around to look at houses I was interested in purchasing, but once I decided on the one I wanted and felt I could negotiate a mutual agreeable final offer, the next step was to arrange financing for that house, which meant dealing with, in my case, mortgage loan companies, convincing them of my credit worthiness, and actually securing the loan. In my case, the first major steps involved in that process were, one, calling up a mortgage company my new employer had recommended, two, telling that new mortgage company my name, three, telling that new mortgage company how much money the house was going to cost and what amount of money I wanted to borrow, and four, telling them my social security number. In around 20 seconds, they had punched in this data on their computer, checked my credit report, and were able to verbally approve the loan. That's right. 20 seconds. They asked where I needed to have a letter faxed that would tell the real estate people the money was authorized. I gave them that fax number and, in all of about five minutes total from the time I called to the time I was done, I had the letter authorizing money for what, for most of us, is the single biggest type of credit transaction we will ever make. I made the offer on the house, reached the deal, called the mortgage company back up, and told them it was all a go. The mortgage company and the real estate sales office put together all the paperwork for me to sign to buy the house, which, by the way, did not include any further authorization of credit information searches, and even came to the temporary living apartment where I was staying until I could move into the house to have me sign the paperwork. I only had to show them a driver's license with my photo on it to prove who I was, and then sign the papers. Only a few days later, I owned a house. All because of the unique key in our credit lock known as the social security number. This particular number is used throughout the US credit system as a more or less unique key to just about any credit application we want to make, big or small. You are given it at birth or soon after, and unlike a real key and lock system, which you can replace if the key gets into the wrong hands, this key is yours for life and unchangeable, except I'm guessing if you go into the witness protection program. The problem with this is that the nine-digit number is not only the key to any of these credit systems, but is also a permanent part of your records associated with your schooling, healthcare records, military service information, employment, apartment applications, stock market transactions, tax return data, and literally almost every single footprint each of us as Americans make in the world. So the number is out there, like it or not, all over the world. This all worked okay in a world where data was stored in file cabinets and the internet had never come into existence. Not only was it hard to get at, it also took a number of phone calls, faxes, and signatures to release the information. And even then, once you had the data, it wasn't all that useful. All that has changed. 
There are many copies of your Social Security number that have accumulated over the years, appearing in countless data file selections, and we now read almost daily, it seems, of some laptop computer disappearing that has the entire set of names, addresses, account numbers, and Social Security numbers on its now-missing hard drives for thieves to enjoy. There are hackers who mine databases online to get access to this data from some of the least secure outlets, such as your local public school records, and there are those who simply pay others within organizations which are secure but have access to your data to sell it to them. With a social security number, you can open up just about any credit account you'd like in just about anybody's name. And even if you don't have that, you can often get into someone's existing account by just entering the right name in a forgot my password security code question. Like, what's your mother's maiden name? One of the most common security code questions out there. In a day when birth, death, marriage, and divorce records were also all offline, this might not have been that accessible, but it is now. As a quick experiment, I just looked up Microsoft Bill Gates' mother's maiden name. It's Mary Maxwell. While this is an exaggeration of how easy it is to find out such things, a bit more digging could probably get you, at no cost to you, the mother's maiden name of, say, your boss at work. And yes, believe it or not, that might be all you need to unlock the door to some records, though, thank goodness, this old approach to security is beginning to disappear. By the way, I am not suggesting anyone do this. It is against the law, for one thing. And second, if you pick on Bill Gates' mom, well, I wouldn't want to be responsible for what happens to your own personal set of digits. I'm just pointing out how easy it is for some of this to be hacked, even by amateurs. In addition to the widespread availability of the Social Security key to one's financial records, the information age has also brought with it a number of other problems. One of the most nasty is the area known as phishing, with a PH at the front, where an email comes into your mailbox claiming it's from eBay or America Online or someone you know, and says your credit card information needs updating or your account may get closed down. Here's a helpful link to an official-looking site to update that information, so you click on it, Fill in your credit card information, including security ID, billing address, and expiration date, and everything is okay now. Except that the email didn't come from eBay or America Online, but some hacker who doesn't even know you, but somehow acquired your email address, in part because we're very open about sharing that email address with even total strangers through online and offline promotions, mailing list data files, and even on your website. And before you know it, your credit card is now being used more widely than you ever imagined. Now you can do some obvious things on your own to minimize the likelihood that you'll be affected by this, including shredding any personal financial information before you throw it out, whether it be as simple as self-generated data such as tax return drafts or credit card offers that you receive in the mail. You can avoid responding to the phishing schemes by realizing that none of these services would ever send you an email of these kinds on their own and you can avoid handing out your personal financial information to others who don't absolutely need to have it. Business, however, is also out there to protect you and wants to make a few dollars of its own at the same time, and mostly honestly so. I do want to say that there are way too many services that are out there just to prey on your own hardships or fears, including ones that will sell you credit reports you're actually entitled to for free, for large fees, and counseling services that sometimes amount to little more than an opportunity to sell books or counselors' time. There are some good things business is doing to respond to this, however, and here are some examples. On the phishing front that we just talked about, there are numerous solutions being explored. 
One is the installation of special toolbars that can be plugged into your own computer's browser from companies such as America Online, GeoTrust, and Core Street Limited. If you do happen to click on one of the phishing links, the browser toolbar will check to see if where the link actually goes is where you should be heading for that sort of information to be entered and will stop you if you're heading the wrong way. There are also anti-phishing services such as Fraud Protect by Mark Monitor, Semantics Online Fraud Prevention Services, VeriSign's Anti-Phishing Solution, RSA Security's Array of Anti-Fraud Products, and others. In many of these services, the systems monitor new and existing phishing schemes, bogus websites that are popping up, and keep track of whether or not you are in the process of almost falling into one of their traps. There are related fraud screening services from companies such as VeriSign, ClearCommerce, and CyberSource that automatically check patterns of purchase and financial routing to determine whether individuals or groups are doing things that are very much out of character and at least flag the transaction to keep it from proceeding until further information may have been provided from the person making the transaction. You yourself may have observed one of these services in action when you tried to make a purchase that was very much out of your own particular pattern. Examples exist such as using a credit card to buy computer equipment when the cardholder had never bought any electronics technology of any kind, or purchases made out of the country when the user rarely made purchases outside of their home county. There are even more complex fraud screening services such as the Barossa, spelled B-H-A-R-O-S-A, -A, tracker, that keeps track of the device you are connecting with and where you're connecting from when a purchase is being made in order to stop transactions before they even take place. In addition to the above categories, there are also online ID services of many kinds to protect against fraudulent entry of passwords and credit card data. There are many credit card companies now, including most of the majors and a number of the larger banks, that offer one-of-a-kind credit card numbers that are only useful for one purchase, and although they may point to your actual credit card account, because the actual number used in the transaction is good just that time, it can't easily be stolen for future use. There are also many services from companies such as RSA Security, VeriSign, and even Microsoft's Passport Concept that provide universal IDs that replace the need to actually enter your credit card numbers each time. They have additional secondary protections internally to help speed transactions and keep your information safe. Still another approach is the use of smart cards, cards with an onboard computer chip, and which in turn must be plugged in to allow for a transaction to take place, and even then require a special PIN number to authorize the transaction. They aren't very common in the United States, but are in widespread use throughout Europe. An analogous solution is the growing use of USB-keyed smart keys that unlock a computer and can also be used for the equivalent of smart card-like transactions with equivalent protection capabilities as long as you have your key. And finally, there is the category of biometric security where fingerprints in particular can be scanned on the fly as the last best approach to ensuring that your uniqueness is being protected. Often these biometric approaches still require some sort of pin with them in part so as to avoid the online database storing the fingerprint information, having to search through every possible fingerprint to find a match, and instead looks up your correct fingerprint quickly and then determines if the fingerprint that you're entering right now is close enough to likely be the right one. This is all very big business. RSA Security, which develops algorithms and products to protect business of this kind, earned over $300 million in 2005. 
VeriSign, with a much broader array of digital security services, including data encryption, ID protection, and others, closed its most recent quarter with $374 million in sales. Between all parties involved in every part of this business ecosystem, this is literally an industry running in the many billions of dollars and affecting every penny each and every one of us spend every day. The combination of at least widespread, if not necessarily easy, access to what should be a closely guarded set of financial keys to our finances, along with the growing explosion of information availability, has brought with it both the problem of identity theft and the promise of some amazing solutions being birthed in this particular business ecosystem. We'd like to hear from some of you about some of the most innovative approaches to this that you're hearing about, or perhaps involved with yourselves, to share with our listeners, and perhaps to feature in a future interview segment of Stranova. Please write us at ideas at stranova.com or share some of your thoughts on this rapidly growing business area on our blog at blog.stranova.com. That's our show for this week, and thanks for listening. We at Stranova are specialists in helping you uncover the best possible means of creating explosive strategic growth within your own business universe. We leverage your own deep knowledge of your markets, partners, and competitors through a unique business ecosystem mapping process and together help suggest the best course to grow your business even faster. For further information, please contact us at ideas at stranova.com. If you have comments on this week's show or suggestions for topics or guests for future shows, please contact us by email at ideas at stranova.com at our Stranova comment line at one 408-849-4394 or via Skype by clicking on the link on our homepage. You can also join in our conversation by connecting with us on our Stranova blog by clicking the link on our homepage or going directly to blog.stranova.com. We look forward to your thoughts and the growing dialogue we're building on the intersection of strategy and innovation. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson, and this is Brad Redderson thanking you for joining us this time at Stranova Strategic Edge.